from the block from the block from the block Welcome to From the Block Podcast. My today's guest is a Bulgarian choreographer, director and yoga teacher based in London. She performed on many international stages and worked on films and television commercials. Her work explores identity, immigration, belonging, femininity and capitalism. Stephanie, welcome to the show. for coming thank you for having me oh how are you doing i'm doing really well just being really hot yes yes it's really really boiling and sticky but uh you know like in this country i don't know like you can never be happy with the weather when it's not hot people want summer when it arrives everyone is disappointed uh but yeah no uh, i'm always super happy when it's hot in london to be honest even if it's sticky i'm like okay at least it's not uh gray so yeah, yeah exactly. i really appreciate when we can wear summer clothes and put a nice dress on and just yeah i appreciate the summer even if it's Even if it's a hot summer, I appreciate it very, very much. Yeah. And um, uh, so do you miss the weather? Because obviously in Bulgaria, the summers are much warmer. They are almost like close to, I would say, Mediterranean, right? Um, I think the climate has really changed everywhere, you know, honesty. And this is just a justification that there are global climate changes. We're not going to go into it. I'm not an expert, but I think it's really visible that climate has changed. Mm -hmm. I've been in the UK for the last six, seven years. And uh, the climate, the the summers are definitely warmer than what it used to be in 2015, 2016, for example. But yeah, the summers we've grown up with in Bulgaria were really hot and sunny, just clear skies. Then you have this really nice snowy winter a nice Mm -hmm. autumn, a nice spring. So when we were growing up in Bulgaria, you had these really clear four seasons and this is like the the how the weather used to be for generations and now yeah. like I think the whole May and the whole June Bulgaria was was rainy and Southern Europe was really? rainy so yeah I think this is more of like a, a dream that we have from from what it used to be right uh, these nice different seasons and I think it's now just a big mush of uh, of weather and whatever happens happens yeah yeah well you're right and here in the UK I don't think that some summers like heat waves like last year we had like 40 degrees for like a few days that that's definitely not a british climate no <laughs> but yeah hey ho here we are now it's hot uh let's enjoy it until it lasts uh but yeah you've mentioned that so uh take me back to the moment when you moved to the uk why did you move to the uk and like what what was what was the plan um, the plan was, of course, I think everyone that moves to London or to New York, the plan is world dominance, uh, your career launching, you mm-hmm. just like um, stepping up in your career. And uh, for me, this move, I think, started a little bit w- a while ago before actually moving to London. I was in Bulgaria. I was 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, my career as a dancer was going extra- incredibly well. I was being nominated for the same awards that my teachers were Amazing. really early on. Yeah, but 
for me, that was actually a red flag because at 25, 26, I was already working with everyone. Uh, also, I worked in the cinema center quite a lot. We had like Michael Bublé come and do like music videos with awesome. us as dancers. We had like uh, really, really cool stuff happening. And I was uh, first for two years with the National Pokemon Dance Company. And then I started producing my own work as a choreographer and dancing selected pieces, my own work or other people's work. And um, I just felt it's going too well too soon which mm-hmm. for me um, my logic was then this place doesn't really allow that much room for development gotcha. this was my yeah. 25 26 year old uh, brain logic and I was like I need to leave mm-hmm. this is this is fake success uh-huh. this is too early for me mm-hmm. to be if I was in a real market for the arts and culture not such a small one mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been having the access to develop so quickly uh, to such like big jobs and I was I, I took it like quite critically and I was like I need to mm-hmm. really check my clock with the rest of the world and I need to leave and um, this is when I got my first international contract I work with a Canadian choreographer on a couple of films and a couple of shows internationally and our first big contract was in Egypt for um, a woman called Sherry Han. She's like the first woman in the Middle East that had a solo career. She's a legend. Mm -hmm. Now she's like, uh, I think almost in her 50s. So we did a big film for her. We lived in Egypt for a year. And then the boat just started rolling. I I lived around different countries in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. uh, in Europe. I just kept getting international opportunities. So for like three and a half years, I think I was living really nomadically. I didn't really stay in, I didn't really have an address. Mm People would ask me, where do you live? I would, I would send them my address in Bulgaria and my mom's uh, <laughs> Eastern European Crazy. block, but I didn't live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at one point I was like, okay, this international experience is really good, but it's really uprooted. I feel a mm-hmm. bit like um, like a tree without a root and mm-hmm. I want to settle. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, where better? Where could it be better than, than London? Mm-hmm. And I applied for a master's degree here at the London Contemporary Dance School and also at Rotterdam. Uh, and I got accepted in both. And I was like, I don't know anything about London or Rotterdam. Where mm-hmm. should I should I go? And I was like, well, probably London is the best place in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know it as an experience, but uh, everyone goes there. So it's probably the best. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like a uh, long story short. I came here to study at uh, London Contemporary Dance School to do my MA. Uh, but pretty much thinking this is going to be this big next step in my career. And if that w- I was so, let's say, successful working internationally or at home, that it would be just a very natural progression to do the yeah. same here and to be like a very established dance artist in just just a couple of years. I thought it was yeah. just like a matter of, of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so so how was, how was it for you? Like, first of all, super interesting story. And uh, well done you for, you know, being so um, clear in your mind. Like, because, you know, the success that you achieved so young in Bulgaria, like a lot of people just like either settle or just enjoy it or but you know you you stayed hungry for more growth and you just did did realize that uh, there is something more to it that you can you can grow bigger but you have to change the the, the, your geographical location so yeah amazing amazing thinking uh, being still so so young Uh, but when you arrived to London so what was that 
did it turn out to be that easy to conquer? <laughs> it was incredibly difficult. Um, it was very, very difficult and it still is. But um, the shock that I experienced, because the first time when I moved, I moved from Cairo, where it was mm -hmm. 40 degrees. We were working, as I said, for Sherry Han, who was this incredible artist and incredible host for us. Mm -hmm. We're not only working with her, we had, a, we had our flats as dancers. We were really taken care of. We were mm -hmm. like, yeah, pretty much working for the best artist in the country. And um, I decided uh, my studies are really important for me. And I got a small scholarship and I came to London to pursue this big dream of being a dancer here. And London just hit me so hard. I I think I was really, really naive. London hit me so hard. Uh, financially, person-wise, I come from a very uh, humble family in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. I only have a mom. I'm half an orphan. So financially, for us, it has been always really difficult. And mm -hmm. even the people that have two parents, um, mm -hmm. the conversion rate of Bulgarian lev to British pounds is so brutal. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I actually got the acceptance letter and I showed it to my mom for the MA, she said how are you going to pay for this MA? You mm -hmm. know, it wasn't in the movies like when your mom is like, oh, congratulations, honey. She was literally straight to the point. She was like, how are you going to make a living? Yeah. How are you going to stay there for, for two years to study? I can't help you. And mm -hmm. this was, I think, from the beginning, there's really very big financial difficulty and I want to be super open to it because I think mm -hmm. in the arts, we see more and more people come from very wealthy backgrounds. And of course, fair enough, if you, if you do have wealthy parents, but it's almost like getting inaccessible for people from humble backgrounds to be in the arts professionally yeah. and to study wow. in the arts. Mm -hmm. So for me, financially, it was incredibly difficult. I didn't have anyone to lean on here. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have friends. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have anyone. And the school was also really just like, yeah, you should, you should just figure it out by yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I went through these massive periods of depression. Oh, I quit London two times I, I've packed all of my stuff and I've went back once to Bulgaria once on another contract to to live in Asia so twice I have completely said I'm going away mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and then the third time when I came back and I said okay I understand this is not an easy gig. I'm really going to commit and uh, I moved in with a friend and she was working in corporate she was working in business and she said look you expect this to be like other places. You turn up and in six months you have friends, you have a boyfriend, you have a job, everything mm -hmm. is rolled mm -hmm. out for you. She's like, that's not how it goes. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'll giving you a bit of tough love in London, I need you to commit to at least two years. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the minimum you can commit to and then you can make an informed decision. Is this for you or not? Yeah. And I think I, that's exactly what I needed. This a little bit of tough love to understand. Do you want this or do you not want it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to commit two full years. And then I'm going to take an informed decision. Do I really like this experience? Is this city working for me? And um, when I did this commitment, it was September 2019. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, in, just, just before the pandemic. Just before the pandemic. So when the pandemic rolled out and a lot of Bulgarians and a lot of Eastern European and a lot of people in general, foreigners, um, literally, literally splashed away, went back to their parents' houses, wherever they were from, to yeah. the most remote corners of the world, I stayed planted here and I said, look, uh, yeah, the world seems to be ending, but I've committed. I'm going to give this a fair chance. Yeah, pandemic, wow. pandemic. I don't care. I've said two years and it's been six months, so I can't really 
I can't really take a get a, an informed decision now. So I stayed wherever I was. I stayed put, and I so I stood out the whole pandemic here in London. And then, you know, it was a bit of a slower ramp for us in terms of the pandemic. We we opened up a little bit later than, let's say, Europe. We're mm-hmm. a little bit more yeah. conservative. But I think now in 2023, we're just so, yeah, so fortunate that we finally, it seems like things are back to normal. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. And uh, how did the pandemic affect your dancing career? So it affected definitely... It's almost like I lost uh, these three years here in London because I had just committed to staying. Before that, I was already studying my MA, but I was studying in portions. Again, mm-hmm. because of financial difficulty, I would take two semesters and then I would take a contract abroad, earn mm-hmm. some money, work as an assistant choreographer in a film or in a show and travel back, do another semester. And I would do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I didn't, I had some connections, but they were very feeble, I would say. So the moment when I said, okay, I'm really going to stay here and I started booking gigs and I started collaborating with other artists, artists and then the pandemic came and for almost three years I think the people that already had the relationships or had the connections or had even institutions recognizing them mm-hmm. they maybe just the grass is greener on the other side but I think they they still received some kind of support and gigs and like digital dance uh, but for someone who had just arrived and you had zero zero network here um it was it was just almost like it was almost nothing and um i remember i got a curation for dance umbrella during the pandemic and we did the the show um in a studio we mm-hmm. shot it and we uh streamed it live and even when we were doing the rehearsals and the light i was dancing my piece with a with a mask and only yeah. for the live stream i i took my mask for like only the piece and then immediately put it back on. But I remember mm. like how difficult strict, it was, yeah. how strict it was, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I booked a couple of things, but they were very small, obviously. But yeah, we we pushed through, to be honest. It was a, it was a long, long period, I think. Well, well done you for, for tenacity. And like, I, I really admire you for like, you know, making that decision. Okay, I'm committing for two years, pandemic hits, and you still keep your promises. Like, that's that's really remarkable. Um, can we fast forward mm-hmm. to present? Yeah. And yeah. Um, you, uh, just before the podcast, I think some uh, good news arrived to you. Yeah. So can you can you share can you share the news with us? Yes, I can. Uh, so I've been working on a project that we've called "Not a Crab, Not a Fish," and crab like the like the cancer, like the little animal that lives mm-hmm. in the water. And this is a Bulgarian saying that you say someone is not a crab and not a fish uh, when they're they, they don't really fall in any category. They're like this stranger, mm-hmm. or it could be something that is not a crab, not a fish. So uh, the this project explores Eastern European identity through dance and also through interviews with uh, members of the Central and Eastern European diaspora here in the UK and like the notions of um, representation and uh, taboos and how do people see us mm-hmm. from Central and Eastern Europe. So, so interesting. Yeah. So literally yesterday we received the news from Arts Council England that they're going to fund our Yay! first part of the dance project uh, which Amazing. is super exciting yeah and it's been, congratulations I think again about this tenacity just like I've been rejected by Arts Council England so many times and I've been rejected by so many institutions in England so many times so I think 
Um, this time, when I submitted it, I submitted it just to make my producer happy. Lydia, if you're listening to this, I thought <laughs> there's absolutely 0.000000 chance that we would get even one pound of funding um, because I just had completely, I'm going to be honest, capitulated in myself and given up. But because my producer was involved, I... Uh, we had submitted it before it was unsuccessful and she was like right we're gonna resubmit straight away and just because of her because I didn't want to to um to disappoint her I was like yeah sure we will resubmit as if someone's gonna fund me uh fund the project and I just resubmitted it just to make her happy Mm -hmm. and then yesterday I was just entering a zoom call for work and while the others were joining I just saw my email and I was like oh here's the rejection letter <laughs> my brain immediately says to protect myself from disappointment my brain immediately was like oh here's the rejection uh-huh. and then I opened the letter and it says um funding offer and I'm oh, like oh my gosh yeah Amazing. but it's almost like I think when you've been so tenacious for a very long time when the something happens your brain is like you don't know how to cope with this. The with brain the cannot process because of oh, wow. if you if you have experienced a lot of rejection, now it's like, how do you actually cope with acceptance? Yeah, uh, oh, it's gosh. really interesting. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, but like honestly, congratulations, amazing, and it's like the, the the subject matter of your project is so amazing. So, can I ask you, how do you find? Eastern European or Central and Eastern European representation in in uh, British culture. Are we represented? Is there any work to, that needs to be done? And also, how does it look from an artist perspective? Like the funding, do you, like is there any recognition of Eastern European as a sort of um, separate uh, cultural background or not? Yeah, I think. First of all, I want to say I'm really, I feel really privileged to live in London where I can see people from different ethnicities every day. And that's what Mm -hmm. I love about London. Mm -hmm. Going on the tube and seeing people from all over the world, uh, first, second, third generation British, maybe they just arrived. We are all together in that tube. Mm -hmm. People uh, from different religions, from different sexual orientations. You can be, you can really own your identity in London. And I love Mm -hmm. that. Um, but I think in the in the arts, uh, and I think we're definitely getting better in terms of diversity and inclusion, and um, I can definitely see so much positive movement, but especially as a student and as an artist, the arts are so funded publicly that there's very often a fund that um, requires you to have a specific, um, how should I say, marker of, of disadvantage socioeconomically oh. or mm-hmm. ethnically. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of has always felt because I've seen thousands of grants and thousands of campaigns to apply for things. It has never ever kind of um, recognized uh, ex-communist countries or countries from Central Eastern Europe as as marginalized in any way. And it's a bit funny because, mm-hmm. yeah, we are in color. I'm just looking at me being quite tanned right now, but we in color, we are Caucasian, right? We are mm-hmm. white, which, mm-hmm. is, which is great. But I just know that we all come from these really destroyed countries and Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be here. A lot of us wouldn't be here if our countries were not so destroyed and uh, communism affected this massively and it depleted and it kind of put us like 40, 50 years back from everyone in the West in terms of development of the country. So 
even Bulgaria right now is just so destroyed. And I, I as we said, we oh, I come from like a socialist block that's like falling apart. This mm-hmm. is where my mom lives even yeah. now. So for me, it, it was always like a no-brainer. Why can't I apply for a fund? Because because my color is white. I am half an orphan. I come from a ruined country with zero infrastructure and all Mm -hmm. of the money going to corruption. If that's not like being, having a disadvantaged background, I think it's just a little bit short-sighted. And I think we are a little bit like, because we are white, we're so good to change ourselves to resemble white yeah. British people. And even if you look at our accents, obviously, when you spend three, four years in London, you don't do it on purpose, but your accent starts changing. Yes, yeah. And you lose that roughness in the voice, the Eastern Europeanness, or even you want to lose it. Yeah, um, that, that very good point. And you yeah. want to resemble. The normal, yeah, the white British person, yeah, yeah, the white British person, and I think this is subconscious because our our identity is really tokenistic. We are the squatting Slavs in tracksuits. We are the ones that drink vodka on every meal, ha ha ha, Mm -hmm. and uh, we are just like correct. uh, We are like the sexy women that expect to get the rich husband who will pay for everything, ha 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 ha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, the the beautiful Eastern European woman. And um, I was even on a date last year with uh, a British guy, and he. Uh, had graduated Oxford and then Cambridge and he had his own company and he was an investor. So he should be an intelligent person, right? (laughs) And he was saying he's dating seriously and he wants to find his wife and have two children. So it wasn't like a hookup. It was a proper date at a restaurant with someone who says they want to get married and searching for for a wonderful partner just like me. And on the date, date he said, because I was sharing, it was really difficult for me to be here and study at LCDS and he said yeah but you did strip for money right oh just oh on the dinner no yeah yeah, no. yeah he did uh, if you're listening to this uh, oh. I did remember that and he oh was like God. he was like yeah but you strip for money right and I was like excuse me oh goodness me and no. he was like yeah don't worry I'm I'm really open-minded I had a Polish friend and she did strip for money when she was younger she was making really good money I oh really my don't God, mind no. that he did say and oh, I was like how no. how they, how in which world do you think this is oh, this goodness. is okay even if it was it was a hookup but you were literally telling me you're searching for a wife and like she just, should be just kind of buy her really intelligent and beautiful like me and you want two kids with your potential wife and that's why we're on this date and you just tell me but you did strip for money right I don't mind it oh god and I was like this is no ridiculous way. You're a fucking amazing dancer, choreographer, and director, and he just no. He was like, he was like, but you did strip for money, right? That's not a problem. He, and then he was, he was like, oh, you didn't. Okay, well, but you shouldn't be judging people that do. I was like, I'm not judging them, but <laughs> I think you should be saying this to me. <laughs> every every choice in my life, you should I've be made. assuming that I did strip for in first place. Yeah, just so. It, it is, I think, putting people in, in categories. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think these stereotypes are kind of still... Everything we know about Eastern Europe is this. They're either... Uh, they're coming from the block that is falling apart, like the podcast. They oh, are beautiful God. women who really know how to wrap men around their fingers or yeah. strip for money. Yeah, and in fact, they are just basically gold diggers. And gold that's... diggers, but really manipulative, but very sexy. Yes. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then the guys are these, usually the Polish construction workers. Worker, but and this is like a bit of a placeholder personality, 
And I think because we are very good in assimilating ourselves, um, I think we are making it even easier for people to be like, oh, Eastern Europe, yeah. Oh, or the other thing is like, oh, I, I want to really, I want to go on a holiday, but I don't want to spend a lot. So mm. I'm going to look at Ryanair to... Czech, to, to, to Poland, Poland. Czech yeah, Republic, yeah. to Bulgaria. Let's go to Krakow, Prague. and yeah, yeah. Not, uh, Oh, my God, it was so cheap. It was my best holiday ever because it's <laughs> yeah. really cheap. I was like, oh, oh really, did you, did you notice anything else in Bulgaria besides it being really cheap? Yeah, yeah. I, I know, honestly, <laughs> once I was... Uh, so, actually, my um, my fiancé, he's British, and he was so embarrassed because we were going to visit my family. And we were sitting on this Ryanair flight to Krakow. And that was before the pandemic. And, um, uh, yeah, basically half of the plane was full of guys going on a stag do to Krakow. They were literally totally drunk already on the flight. Uh, and I, I was feeling very uncomfortable, but I just kind of didn't even like I, I'm just used to it like hearing it like you just it's weird right like as an Eastern European you hear it so much like offensive things or like um uh, things that like you're not really proud of you you don't want you don't like but you do accept them because you saw them so many times right and my boyfriend goes to me and uh, and says like I'm so embarrassed like this is this is like British people look so bad like literally like look around us like this is this is so embarrassing and I was thinking in my head like crap like Krakow is really the place that that people are thinking is like a cheap destination just to get pissed and you know uh maybe go to some nightclubs but yeah it was it was an interesting conversation but I know what you mean it's like it's yeah there are there are still so many like misconceptions about about the east about eastern european women uh, and about eastern european men um sometimes I even wonder like how much they have actually to do with the with the reality because I don't know like drinking vodka I think British people drink more <laughs> um, I haven't had vodka or rakia which is our version of vodka I haven't had even a shot in the last maybe two three years yeah but going back to the diversity thing I think we're definitely getting better and I think probably London is one of the best places in the world right now because they're yeah there are places where diversity is really really not a thing yet but I think it's just like it it it, uh, it it relates to every culture, uh, just not looking at people as a placeholder. Oh, you're this and that color, you're from this and that religion, or you're wearing a hijab, so forth, then you must be this kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, it's just like um, maybe a time for us to be a bit just more vocal, not that... In, not that we are competing with with other marginalized groups about who's more important. That's not the idea. But just to bring a little bit more authenticity and depth and color to who are these people, because I've I've analyzed this a lot. And why do why do why are we so well behaved? Like because Eastern and Central European people are very well behaved. Mm-hmm. We yep. are we kind of take it like I'm so lucky to be in the United Kingdom. I'm so lucky to be able to be here to mm-hmm. work this job. And we're really hardworking. This is like what the feedback is very often. They're so hardworking, very mm-hmm. high work ethics. Yeah. And we're kind of like, because I think communism is the, the, the it has really taught our parents who have ra- raised this to be like, sit down, write your homework and don't you fucking complain. Yeah. Um, so yeah. kind of sit down, be humble, put your head down, work like uh, sweat, home. blood and tears, go into your work leave everything into your work and then keep your head down 
mm-hmm. don't ask for too much. Yeah. And I think this is uh, this is the ethics of the country where we come from. So mm-hmm. people like us that are in the UK, you're almost kind of always thinking, yeah, I'm so lucky that I have this job. You're not lucky. You've worked for it. You you've worked for it so so hard, and you yeah, deserve true. it. But we always kind of almost feel like an imposter, and like, oh wow, be- because you remember like where you're coming from, yeah. right? So you're almost like an imposter syndrome a little bit. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 uh, really like uh, in our heads that we are like worse because we are from east. Uh, I was actually uh, reading about it. I was trying to understand it. Like, uh, what what is even like west and east and why East is always portrayed as this sort of like poorer, uh, less attractive sort of like sibling of West or like what, what is it? What is it? Eastern Europe, right? Um, and and yeah, and I think it's it's uh, definitely communism and um, uh, how the Western culture was uh, portrayed was like had an impact on us because I I was growing up in the 90s and uh, which meant that obviously I already had access to western films for example Mm -hmm. but I was living in eastern reality still strongly rooted uh, in communism Um, but like obviously when I was seeing like the anything like the life that kids live in in the west Mm -hmm. uh, shown to me through those films obviously I wanted that of course Um, and that obviously made me feel really like worse because I didn't have a huge house a mansion I was growing up in a block right and all these American kids they had their own bedrooms they had like you know kids coming and stay, stay over uh, overnight and you know those parents they, they they had the gardens and I was thinking wow and all this life was really really appealing to me um Although obviously there are poorer families in in the West as well, uh, but yeah, that's from like little I was shown that who I was and where where I grew up was sort of worse. It's inferior. Yeah, I I would completely agree because all of the music is Western music. All of the films are usually American films. Very. Uh, a small percentage yeah. are European or British, but mostly American. So you're growing up with this completely Westernized media all the time, and you're pretty much the takeaway for your subconsciousness is I'm inferior to that, and yeah. I need to obtain this. And of course, as you said, the wealth is something because most people in Central and Eastern Europe are not wealthy. We don't really have a middle class. Yeah. You're either very poor or by some chance you might be very rich but these are very few people yeah so the majority of we don't actually have a functioning at least in bulgaria even now we don't yeah. have a functioning middle class yeah. in the way it, whether it's in the uk the middle class is huge and uh, it's not everyone but a lot of people can make it into the middle class not everyone mm-hmm. is going to make it into the higher class but you you don't need to be extremely wealthy to live well yeah of course. you need to get to that middle tier which is non-existent in uh or at least yeah it's very hard in the yeah. in eastern european but yeah that's the takeaway you feel you're worse you're inferior and mm-hmm. you're like okay your young mind is like i need to get there i need to be like the, the people in the movies yeah and for me when you said like why london i wasn't thinking about wealth but i was thinking about artistic career and i was following some artists and i was following and as I said, when we were shooting in the cinema city in Bulgaria, there was a, a British choreographer, a Holly Blakey. She came and she shot a music video with us and she brought some of her dancers. And just 
seeing them and I was like, oh yeah, definitely London because I was thinking which which one to choose, whether them or London. I was like, I want to be like them. Look, I can have this amazing career and meet all of these creatives, which is still true. Yeah. The thing is, because everyone comes here driven by this big dream, it is actually, and also the cost of living, it is yeah. very, very, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it could be a very long uh, ladder to, to success but I think in this long process if you are to stay in this long process you start to really strip away who you are as an artist and also as a person yep. so if you're a dancer that's not enough in London what kind of a dancer are you what kind of a choreographer what topics are you interested in what 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 kind of work do you do who does mm-hmm. it appeal to what mm-hmm. kind of theatre is it for Sadler's Wells is it for a little underground venue uh, where people are drinking while they're watching a show is it a queer venue so you really need to know what you're going to be the best in and do it really really well and that's that's yeah. that's the same thing whether it's in Bulgaria I was I was doing everything from commercial dancing for films and music videos to uh, setting up my own like independent work having a non-profit dancing for wow. companies I was doing all of these things because the market is so small and yeah. here you really not need to know who you are how are you driving value to the world and I yeah. think this is really painful but maybe I'm starting to think is also good in yeah. a way mm-hmm. you, you think so does it help you to specialize in something and be like extremely good at one area or I think that's that's probably the way the way forward in London maybe not one I think you have to have a couple of strings to your bow especially as a freelancer you need to be very agile and we know like the pandemic came the war came the inflation mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. like these uh, external big factors were just like little boats in a sea Uh, Mm -hmm. the sea can change any moment so you need to have multiple strings to your bow but um, yeah the clearer you are with your message to the world about what's your mission how you helping others how you driving value to others I think the better in London you can really be a generalist here Mm, yeah yeah makes sense makes sense but looking back at your career what are the things that you are the most proud of What am I most proud of? I'm definitely proud of uh, directing a couple of dance films. And why dance film? Because dance is so ephemeral and it it does disappear the moment when we close the show, we bow, we exit. Mm -hmm. And we are only left with the archive, with photographs and with videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the dance itself has vanished. Um, Mm -hmm. So dance film, this is a, a film and dance piece it's a, uh, that has been created for the camera. So it's mm-hmm. not a recording of a dance that was meant for the live audience. Got it has you, been yes. made, it has been choreographed for the camera and the camera has been choreographed. Oh, so it shows right, a unique good. viewpoint. So I have uh, directed one film with uh, with a partner of mine, Costa Karakshan, and then I then directed two more films by myself. And I've danced in, in, in a few films as well. But I think when you see this body of work, it's fully finished. And every time you sit in the cinema and you project it and you see the dancers, the dancers 
sorry, but one of them maybe hasn't is not even with us anymore. Maybe someone has has passed away, or has uh, he's not dancing anymore, or is sick, or anything can happen with us as human beings. But this uh, film is there, mm-hmm. and uh, it's incredibly exciting to have that. It feels like something really finished and something that you've accomplished. Yeah! Wow! Wow! Yeah! Amazing! Amazing! Uh, where people can find uh, your work, and you know, maybe are, are the films available online? So my dance films are currently only available in Bulgaria exclusively on Seven Arts, which is a um, which is the Bulgarian mm-hmm. arts uh, platform. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's in Bulgarian, so um, th- we will have a live event this summer mm-hmm. in London in an mm-hmm. immersive uh, in an immersive dance film event. Stay tuned; it's going to be in, in August. We're just confirming the date and the details with another choreographer and director called uh, Francis. She's from Chile. So mm-hmm. we're going to do an evening that is dedicated to female-led dance film and femininity as a topic because that's a big topic for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this is the live thing coming up in London. And um, another way to be involved with me is uh, if you want to, if you're a member of the Central and European, Eastern European diaspora, if you see, identify as CEE mm-hmm. um, in the UK, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Stephanie Hanjisko on all of the social media and also mm-hmm. my website is with the same name. Mm-hmm. Just please like reach out to me uh, and we can have a discussion because I'm searching for people from different walks of life mm-hmm. that have the heritage, whether have migrated or have been born here that are identifying yeah. with this heritage and that want to share an experience. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. And so, uh, w- um, uh, the w- what are your socials? Like, if you could like uh, share, you know, your social handles so people can find you and watch your work, uh, photographs and videos. <laughs> Very beautifully done, I have to admit. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. So my Instagram and uh, is Stephanie Hanjiska, like my name. You'll find in the show notes. Stephanie Hanjiska artist on Facebook. I don't have TikTok, but mm-hmm. my website is also Stephanie Hanjiska. Or if you are more interested in my wellness work working I uh, teach people dance yoga Mm -hmm. meditation it's Stephanie Hanjiska yoga uh, and yeah you can find all of these online if you just type my name in Google it will come out I'm sure yeah and before we wrap up uh, tell me about your yoga teaching because that's fantastic like uh, I have to admit I just had a look at a few videos did a little yoga workout but yeah tell me what brought you to to yoga I mean I think from dancing is quite a natural progression as well in terms of like uh, working on your body. Uh, but yeah, uh, tell me, tell me about your. Yeah, um, it was always a dream of mine. I started practicing yoga in this first international contract I mentioned in Cairo in 2016, and then since I traveled so much abroad, I felt like I don't have a anything stable in my life Mm -hmm. Uh, it was like a life of a touring dancer you get a phone call from your agent and they say uh, I have a contract for you you're leaving in 10 days you're going to Japan you're going to Slovenia you're going to Vietnam wherever Uh, you're packing and going in 10 days Mm -hmm. so uh, for me having a yoga mat with me on all these travels and just the moment I arrive into this new country after 20 hours of flying I just would get into my hotel room and Un, like just roll out my mat and get on the mat and, and, and practice yoga and I'll be like this is my home and even if I don't currently have a physical home I can always bring I can mm-hmm. create 
home should is Almost not like the walls. Yeah. yeah, home is not the walls or a person or your mom or your partner. It is you can create that. Mm-hmm. With the practice for me is whatever you put into your yoga practice, it will co- come back to you. Mm-hmm. With everything in life, it is like that, right? If yeah. if you deposit you mm-hmm. will be able to withdraw at a later point. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's this amazing way to to gift this to other people that I'm a big believer of self-practice. Obviously, we practice together. I'm the teacher. Mm-hmm. But you need to own that. I, I would like you to own this practice and to be able mm-hmm. to, to, to do it by yourself because exactly as I said, whatever you put into it, you will withdraw, whether it's a physical benefit, you're yeah. becoming stronger, more flexible, more coordinated, healthier, whether it's a mind benefit, your mind becomes clearer, you can uh, prioritize anxiety, is settling mm-hmm. down, you feel more grounded or emotional. Yeah, The emotional landscape can settle down, you can be better processing and observing your emotions. Um, this this can all come because you constructed your practice in a way to lead there. And um, I think it was very natural for me as a dancer because I always want to be moving. I want to be moving all day, every day. That's my natural habitat. So uh, the moment when I was able to save finally the money to qualify, which was a big uh, period, and then I immediately started teaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I'm really lucky right now to be able to work with different groups. I work in a group setting. Um, I work with, uh, with one-to-ones. I'm able to to coach people one-to-one. Um, I work with corporate, uh, with businesses, but I also work with communities. So now Mm -hmm. part of my dance project will be in order to thank these communities that are giving us the interviews and are allowing us to see their heritage Mm -hmm. is to actually offer them sessions back in dance meditation, in yoga. So there's also this social and community aspect to think about how can what I know as a dancer about the body, how -hmm. can this benefit a normal person, a person that is a non-dancer, is a non-specialist in movement? How can I bring this gift to, to everybody uh, how can I accommodate my movement practice to to touch more people? So I love that. I'm super passionate about that. Um, um, I want to. I want movement to be accessible for everyone, um, or at least mindfulness and meditation, whichever aspect people want. So yeah, I think it's it's a part of a bigger mission. Oh wow! Well done, you, Stephanie. It's it's so <laughs> fascinating. I mean, honestly, like I'm I'm a big fan of yoga. I do it obviously not at your level uh but occasionally when i can like pre-workout warm-ups and uh or sometimes in the evening just to stretch my back back and and legs as well i do like running a lot so uh come back to some yoga routines but yeah hearing what you've just said it's like there's so much more to yoga and uh and yeah uh, it's it's amazing that you incorporated all these things in your life and you are giving back to community as well so yeah thank you so much for coming stephanie and thank you for having me so lovely talking to you thank you so much for sharing all the insights uh you know uh on on uh, dancing living in the uk uh really appreciate that so best of luck with all your future projects and congratulations again on uh, getting the funding i can't wait to see the project already thank you thank you thank you guys now we can breathe! <laughs> you know, guys, in the Titanic submarine, we are a bit like that.
from the block from the block from the block from the block